0: Today, we are speaking with Michelle Allman, who is a licensed master social worker and is the bereavement coordinator for the University of Rochester Medicine Home Care and Hospice. She has worked in hospice for the past 14 years, 12 of them as the bereavement coordinator. She facilitates grief support groups and meets with families and individuals on a one-to-one basis to offer support and guidance through the grieving process. In addition, she is a co-founder and director of an annual three-day children's summer bereavement camp called Camp Heartstrings, Camp Dreams. Michelle is a master-level social worker and completed her degree at Syracuse University. Thanks so much for joining
1: us today, Michelle. We appreciate you taking the time. The work you do as a bereavement counselor must keep you very busy. And we're fortunate you were able to spend some time with us this afternoon. First, could you take a few minutes and share some of your experience as a bereavement counselor and whatever other path you maybe have taken and tell our listeners what brought you to this point in your career.
2: So, I graduated from college as a social worker with a master's degree in about in 1997. I worked in nursing homes for many years and was ready for a change, and so I had an opportunity to become a social worker in hospice. So I started with VNS in 2006, and I was a social worker in nursing homes and in the hospitals at that time. About two years in, I found that I was very interested in grief work and bereavement. Um, So there was a position available that I was able to get and have been working in grief and bereavement since. So I'm very lucky to be here.
1: Good. And I know before we decided to do this recording and everything, we talked with you a bit. And I think you mentioned to us that even after a family suffers a loss, your work doesn't stop there, that you continue to work with the family and support them in their grief for up to a year, I think. Um, That's a great service, and I hope it's well-received. Can you talk a little bit about what type of services you offer them?
2: So hospice care does not end when the patient dies. Um, Bereavement is built in as part of the Medicare benefit, and I provide bereavement support for at least a year um, after the patient dies. So I keep in touch with families um, via letters. I make phone calls to them. I have support groups. I do a lot of one-on-one support. I'm really lucky in that I'm able to tailor the bereavement program to whatever meets families' needs. So I'm also able to offer... Remembrance services, special programs with the holidays coming upon us. I was just able to do a Coping with the Holidays program. Um, I do that throughout the community generally. Pre-COVID, I would go to churches. I would go to the support groups and talk with families about how do we get through the holidays. That's
1: wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And that was something I really wasn't aware of. These last eight months or so, probably closer to nine months now, have really turned everyone's lives upside down. Whatever we considered previously an inconvenience is now routine, like wearing masks and being socially distant, and probably the one that hurts so, so many people is not touching or being able to give hugs. Businesses have faced dire situations, going out of business, there's governmental requirements, and... Not for the least, hospitals and healthcare workers have for months been overworked. Many have become ill themselves. Some have died. Hospitals have had to impose severe restrictions on visitation and their services. I just can't imagine how this has impacted those who have faced deaths of their loved ones or terminal illnesses. So can you offer some insight from your perspective? of the impact this pandemic has had?
2: This pandemic has caused layers of grief. Certainly people who were initially sick have had a difficulty seeking treatment. Um, They weren't able to have family members go into the hospital with them or meet with doctors initially. Um, Treatment has certainly been delayed. You know, when people were first getting sick with COVID, they didn't know what it was. They were treated, you know, like they had the flu. Right. Then the spouse would get it as well. and They were prevented from coming into the hospital. So people were certainly dying alone. I have one family I'm working with where he was on a ventilator and had no idea why, what was going on. His wife was sick at home, so couldn't come in and see her. him. Um, Fortunately, she was able to go in when they removed him from the ventilator. But there's also been the layer of people inability to get into nursing homes, you know, to see right parents or aging spouses. Visitation in the hospitals have been limited. So it's really caused a lot of distress in the nurses as well, you know, in the caregivers of the patient. Um, they it sounds like they were certainly Able to find ways with FaceTime and, you know, different devices to be able to connect people. But still, it wasn't that personal contact that we find so important in hospice. Right. You know, people weren't there at the time of death. And we know with hospice, that's what we always encourage. We want people to be there if they're able to be there. Um, holding hands, telling stories. And we have not been able to do that you know, the delay in rituals, you know, funerals, funerals are so important. Um, I think one of the things I've learned the most by doing bereavement and grief is how important that ritual is. Um, So they're all canceled at this point.
0: Are they allowing you as a social worker to go into the hospital and visit? Or no?
2: Into the hospitals, the social workers are allowed to go in and visit, yes. In nursing homes, we have not been allowed to go in and visit. The nurses only have been the only ones that have been able to go in.
0: Okay. So this is all, it's heartbreaking to know that, you know, someone can't be there uh, with someone. And I know, you know, even if a family member from being in hospice can't be there, at least one of us is there holding their hand or something, telling them it's okay. And just, you know, it it is, it's so heartbreaking right now. I think that, so you up to a year off of the bereavement services. Do you have several people maybe that still come past that year mark? And I'm assuming you allow that and because it's not,
2: it doesn't go away. <laughs> right, right, right. Definitely. I allow that. Um, I, I will meet with people as long as they need me. Um, I do encourage, you know, people who come to support groups, a lot of things happen with support groups. One is they definitely establish really good friendships within the group. It's if it's a good trusting support group, um, they support each other and it slowly evolves into a friendship. Um, so there's been a lot of times that I've encouraged people to really look at why they're in the support group. I want people to get better. So I, there's several people I keep in touch with after they're done with the group and they all keep, they still keep in touch. I had a call yesterday from a family member who says we all get to group together weekly, virtually, of course, but they still get together. I haven't seen them as a group in probably two years. Oh, that's great. Yes. Um, but even one-on-one support, I I will provide that beyond the year mark, you know, if I think that they need it. Um, sometimes I do encourage a therapist in the community. My role in the community or in the nursing in hospice is really for support. So if I recognize that a family needs therapy, uh, I do encourage them to get that.
0: That's good. So, you know, there's a lot of restrictions as well put on the funeral homes, um, on services that they would normally offer. And how have people coped with this? And, um, are there alternative solutions maybe that are available? I, like, I don't even know what the status is as of right now. I don't know how many people we can have in a group. And I don't think it should be a lot of people, but <laughs> how, you know, people are going to have, they don't have that kind of closure. So, what, what is happening now for that?
2: I think it's a limit of 10 people still right now, especially with Monroe County, you know, with the numbers increasing. What I'm hearing from families is that they're waiting for the numbers to go down and hopefully just delay the services. It's, I, I personally have been to a couple of funerals, calling hours, and my heart breaks for these people. You know, there's no hugging allowed. There's no touching allowed. You know, there's not the storytelling that is what is so healing with funerals and calling hours. Right. There's the barrier of the mask. You know, you can't read somebody's facial expressions sometimes. I was at a funeral a couple of weeks ago, and they physically put ropes up in between the people going into um, the funeral home and the family, you know, receiving the support. So I think, I think families are doing the best they can. They are, you know, they, at least this summer, they were having outside services, but I know a lot of them are really hoping that they can do something this year, this coming year.
0: Oh, it's so sad. So the holidays are going to be here and gone so quick. Cause that's how our time always goes. With the pandemic added though to the holiday season, is there anything that people can do to kind of better work through that grief when they don't necessarily have that closure like they normally would with funeral services or seeing their loved one at the end?
2: The holidays are difficult for sure. Um, I've been meeting with my groups and talking about the holidays and I'm finding my, you know, normal go-tos of Go to a party for a few minutes. You know, drive yourself separately so you can leave when you want to. Call and meet a friend for coffee is all really challenging right now. Um, so I've been encouraging journaling. You know, talking with other family members about the person who died, remembering the person who died through other rituals or other traditions. You know, maybe food, maybe lighting a candle. Um, writing stories down and reading them later in the day if they can get together with at least a few family members. But mostly encouraging families to do what's comfortable for them right now, you know, um, acknowledging this year is different, um, not just because of COVID, but because your loved one is in here.
1: Those are some good tips. A question came to my mind a little while ago when you said we were talking about how you follow the family or loved ones for a year longer if you need until you feel comfortable with kind of, I guess, letting them fly the nest or so to speak.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) What are some of the things that you look for to know that someone can kind of manage from that point on? Are there any special things or is it just in you getting to know the people individually?
2: I think it's mostly getting to know people individually. I can see how people are, you know, managing. Are they still telling me they're crying every day? Are they sleeping at night? Are they establishing, um, new routines? Are they volunteering? Are they, you know, going out with friends? Just, you know, their own, their own way of telling me how they're doing day to day. And I will. I'll ask questions. I'll say, you know, if somebody comes to a support group or to a one-on-one session and says, you know, I've been great this week. I did this. I did this. I did this. And I'll say, but tell me about grief. And they'll say, but I didn't have any grief this week. So it's certainly a, a sign to me that they are doing better. And that's not to say that grief isn't going to be forever with you. Yeah. So you're gonna there's always going to be a special day or a special moment that you remember that person and you may get a little teary. Doesn't mean that you're backsliding. It doesn't mean that you're not doing well. It just means you have a memory and that's a good thing. Okay.
0: Is there anything else that you want to let us know that's been difficult um, with COVID and the pandemic and everything? Any other issues that you can think of that people have had?
2: I think other what I've been hearing is really interesting just from the other layers of this pandemic. You know, so we've got the pandemic, we've got grief. We've also had the, the racial disparities this year. We have also had the election. We don't generally hear a lot about the election um in my grief groups, but I've certainly had to refocus them a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. Really it's really causing a lot of angst it for is. people. And I I through the years of doing this grief work, I don't often see a lot of people who come to me that I would consider really complicated grief. You know, a few in moments of complicated grief, but not To the impact that these outside sources have been causing for people. Um, when, you know, when COVID first hit, I was worried that families would either be just inundated with grief and not be able to get out, or they would just push grief away, you know, and really deal with COVID. And I think I've really seen both. I tried a new support group, you know, when COVID first started thinking that people would need that and they really needed the time to process. So they waited, you know, a few months to, to come into the group, but there's a lot of discussion of the outside forces that are complicating grief. Sometimes, you know, they can't see their grandchildren. They can't see, you know, that they can't do their normal coping things. You know, they can't church. They, you know, so those things have definitely complicated Right. And grief. it's,
0: it's all piling
2: up. <laughs> right. Right. And I think it's, we've all been grieving since March, you know, we, yeah. it's been for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. That did bring another question to my mind. I know another part of um, working with family members, loved ones and help supporting them through grief. I know one of the things near and dear to your heart are the children. And I know you're involved uh, with a project. I don't know if you want to mention it briefly. I I think I actually have it on our list as a topic for a later podcast that I had your name beside. But I wondered if in relation to COVID and all of the other things creating all this tension and anxiety and angst, if you might just for a little bit speak about the kids, the grandchildren, the children maybe that have lost uh, family members
2: and how are they coping? I think children are are starving for the socialization as well. You know, I think that. So, Camp Heartstrings, Camp Dreams, is a three day bereavement camp that I typically offer in the summer. Um, it's held at one of the local colleges. Last year, well, the year before two thousand nineteen, it was at Nazareth, and. It's really a place for kids to come and talk about their feelings, acknowledge grief, talk about what grief is like for them. And due to COVID, we had to cancel that. So we haven't, unfortunately, been able to offer a lot of bereavement for kids. Um, I do see a couple on Zoom, um, but it's it's hard to engage, and they're, you know, they're going to school now on Zoom, and they're really tired of you know, being on, in front of the computer all the time. Um, I'm hoping that our camp can continue. But I, I think definitely they need a place to talk as well. They don't want to upset parents. They don't want to upset their siblings. They want to be able to talk, and the camp really provides that. Yeah. Is there a
1: specific age range that seems to have more difficulty coping with grief or not?
2: I, I think it's probably pretty across the board, you know, grief with kids. We have found it changes developmentally, you know, okay. so if children are small when a parent or a sibling dies, you know, as they grow and they need different things from, especially a parent it, that grief changes. Okay. Um, so, you know, teenagers, we do different programming for teenagers than we might do for younger kids. You know, the younger kids might want to draw or, You know, paint, you know, use art therapy, pet therapy, that kind of thing, where the older teens are able to talk it through. They may use music to cope, you know, different coping skills. They can see, they can find friends and talk to friends where younger kids, you know, might not have that ability.
0: I, Michelle, I wanted to know that since all of your bereavement groups and things like that are through like Zoom are people doing okay with that? Aside from that, you know, the, the hugs or the contact that they're not getting, are they doing okay with that? The virtual, uh, group
2: meetings like that? They really are. It's been amazing. I have, um, been able to start new groups and people are very willing. They're really, really making the best of it. I think they're appreciating some contact even if it is virtual at this point. One on one has been great. I'm busier now than I was when I was traveling. You know, I'm seeing probably more people virtually. So I think they're d think they are definitely adjusting.
0: Well you can fit more into your day because you don't have the travel time added to it. I <laughs> sure can, that is for sure. <laughs> Well, Michelle, I can't thank you enough for sharing with us today about all the issues that everyone is dealing with with the current pandemic. One last question, please. What can we all do to better support someone experiencing a loss during this season? Is there anything we can do or say
2: to help? Alan Wilfelt talks about companioning. Alan Wilfelt is an author that writes a lot about grief. And companioning really is the ability to be with someone when they're struggling The relationship is to just, it's just to be with them. It's not offering advice, you know, or saying you should do this or you should do that. It's really acknowledging that grief is different for everyone. Being with them, you know, checking in, listening, providing presence is what we can do for people who are grieving. Um, Acknowledging that grief is different for everybody. Being careful not to compare grief is really important. So just really providing that presence and knowing the relationship is what is most important.
1: Okay. How, um, gee, I keep thinking of more questions. I could keep you all day, I think. Little things. I see a lot of posts on Facebook lately about the concept of just because you have a memory, you don't want to mention their name or something, but people who are grieving really like it. When someone has a memory and shares it, is, is that pretty much true for people that,
2: does that help them? I think it helps to talk about the person. I think as a society, we're very worried about making somebody cry or not knowing what to do or how to help them. And I think thinking about the person who died is probably one of the best things we can do for them. You know, it's providing them with memories and an opportunity to talk.
1: That's great. I I appreciate you kind of confirming that for me. I know after I started thinking about it, I try to do that now and again for people. And I do find that they very quickly start talking and telling other stories. So uh, maybe that's something that people can do at this holiday season, even though it may be difficult, it may be a difficult subject to broach but maybe just mention a happy memory about someone. Yes, it may cause some tears, but mm-hmm. those tears are part of the healing process.
2: I right. Think. So, And I hear people say, I don't want to make them sad. And the person says, but I'm already sad. So exactly. That's, exactly. No, you're not going to cause something. Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That sadness usually stays right there in the background. You know, it might not be obvious at some times, but it only takes just a little thought or some little trigger to bring it back out. Right. I know that personally. Uh, is there anything you want people to know otherwise about bereavement counselors, about bereavement groups, um, in general? I know we, we spoke to someone yesterday who strongly suggested that everyone who suffers a loss should look for a bereavement group, even if it's for a very short period of time, just Mm -hmm. to kind of help them get their feet back under them, so to speak. Is, is that something you also feel?
2: I agree. I love support groups. I find so much healing happening in support groups. I think that even one on one visits people really benefit from. I hear all the time, I think I'm going crazy. And you know, yes. <laughs> I feel like I'm all alone and certainly validating that in a in a support group that they're not alone and that The crazy feelings that they're having are not different, and they're not going. Is what is so important, right? Good. Well, I I agree. I think bereavement is is really it's important for for the people,
1: right? One of our hopes with this podcast is that it can maybe be an additional resource for people. Um, You know, bereavement groups have uh, maybe once a week or some, maybe not even that frequently. But there are other times that maybe someone who is grieving finds himself alone at home. And we're hoping that maybe some of these episodes of our podcast may be able to help them, help keep them company a little bit, maybe, Mm -hmm. or just offer them a little bit more. So I hope you will pass on to others in your organization that we're doing this. We're newly launched, but. We do have other ones. We have one that has eight tips for the holidays or special seasons getting through. We have one that talks about, uh, do I need professional help? And she is the one that adamantly supports bereavement groups. So we have a lot out there to offer. I think finally, we have maybe not run out of questions, but questions for today. And you're out of time. So I want to say, Michelle, thank you from the bottom of my heart. The work you do is so difficult for a lot of people to comprehend, but it's so valuable. And I know for you personally, it's probably very rewarding because you know that these people need some help. Mm -hmm. The title of our podcast, As I Live and Grieve, came from the fact, a little play on the word as I live and breathe, because I personally feel that I will grieve for the rest of my life. It certainly may not be as intense as it was closer to the loss, but all it's going to take is that little trigger, that little memory. I do hope that the pandemic days are winding down with the upcoming vaccines and everything. I hope that that will at least bring us into the tunnel where there may be a light at the end of, and that soon or even after a few months, we'll be able to get back to what we can accept as a more normal life. So again, to you, I say thank you so much for coming today, for the work you do. And for our listeners, thanks for listening today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope each of you heard something in this episode that will bring you back in another week for our next episode. Thanks. Have a good day.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.